Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists, their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover. Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community. Please follow Active Listeners on Facebook or the Twitters and join in on the conversation. Peace. Hello, active listeners, audience, and welcome back to season two of AL Pod. I am Shane. And I am Mike. And we are here to talk about all things theater. <laughs> this is going to be our 53 hour episode of Active Listeners. So strap in, buckle up, because here we go. So back in the year zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it, it won't be our all things theater episode. Uh, it will be another theater related episode. We tend to have a lot of them just because that's what we know. That's what we do. We do a lot of theater. That's who so we are. that's what this is about. But specifically, this is about representation and inclusion in theater and today we are going to talk to actor director playwright nate bynan and he's going to share with us some of his insights into why inclusion is important and what type of inclusion we should be we should be aiming for yeah, I'm also really excited to talk to Nate on a personal level because I know that I have worked with Nate in the past, but can't completely remember what exact theater project <laughs> him and I worked together on. Uh, when you do theater for as long as I have, a lot of things just kind of like get smushed together. And a lot of my early <laughs> upstate New York... It's like time dilation applies to every facet of our life so like the longer you're doing a thing the less unique that thing is and the less of each individual experience your brain is cataloging so that's why like for instance the years go by faster when you're in your 30s oh that's because you've had so many yeah. that your brain is tired of keeping track of you're like all. you're how old so uh, do just... something interesting and your brain will remember it is that true uh, yeah, actually, it's time dilation is actually. I've heard of uh, heard of that. I've never heard of being able to break that time uh, dilation with. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I, I think that would take like years of just being interesting. But then, if you're interesting all the time, you're still you're not. If everything is highlighted, you know I mean? you're nothing's still highlighted. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, everything is important. Nothing is important. Welcome to Science Topics with Mike and Shane. <laughs> uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about the meaning of life. We are here to talk No, but we about are. We're, we're here to talk about inclusion. the philosophical nature of making theater and making art and how we have been programmed to do that for so long in a very specific way that hasn't been inclusive. And we've been doing it for so long that we've just sort of categorized this as something that is the way that it is done. This is the way. And it's not the way. And it, or it shouldn't be the way. Or, or it doesn't, doesn't have, have to be, to be the, the way. way. Yeah. Right. We spent, and I say we, but really like Western history has spent like it, its entirety trying to codify like every little thing about every little thing. <laughs> And so, yeah, we have like these these weird rules that don't really make any sense about how 
entertainment is supposed to be, you know what I mean? How life is supposed to be. And it's just like all wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, like as a society, I feel like we've allowed ourselves to fall into these tropes that we didn't even develop. Yeah. I mean, some, some things, some things worked out, right? Like yeah. toilets. <laughs> cool. <laughs> toilets are awesome. They flush. But like, but like, why do all your minority characters have to play supporting roles and be like whimsical, magical, wise people, or or funny and like abrasive? Like, it's just not. Man, I don't. I did not know how you were gonna connect a toilet to oppressive theater making, but you did it. <laughs> I did. I and I'm did. Impressed. I'm getting good yeah, at this. That was that was freaking <laughs> impressive. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't think anything more impressive than that's going to happen on this side of things. So let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Nate right after the jump. All right, we have Nate Bynan here. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, Nate, uh, you are a playwright. You are a, a director. You are an actor. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and uh, tell us your pronouns and a fun fact. Oh, God. Um, it doesn't okay. have to be super fun, I promise. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, like you said, I'm an actor, playwright, um, director. Um, I write plays about white alcoholic gay men that talk too much because those are the voices that come easiest to me um <laughs> and you should start there and fair enough fun fact, yeah, yeah yeah and um when i was a senior in high school long long ago um i actually did go to the prom in drag because i felt like it nice so that is my fun fact awesome yep uh this is probably the least relevant question, but what's your go-to drink? Um, for a while, it was whatever they were serving. Um, Sounds about right. I've, I've actually um, recently decided to cut way back and, and measure out how much alcohol I drink because it was starting to bleed into the week as opposed to like just for weekends. Sure. Especially this year, which is just the shape of time is so bonkers right now. Oh, anyway. man. So yeah, um, I like a martini. I respect that. Nice. Yeah. Nice gin martini. The clear liquor. Yes. I yes, tend to yes. avoid clear liquor, but we don't have to make this episode about alcohol. We can <laughs> yeah. talk about beer. Just, just, just wait about 10 years, Shane, and <laughs> you will appreciate like not losing a day to a hangover because your metabolism will change. I like how you think that I'm not already there. <laughs> oh, well, I just assume most people are 20 years younger than me at this point. I mean, I don't know how old you are, and you definitely don't have to put yourself on blast on our podcast, but I mean, I'm rocking almost the mid-30s this point. Okay. And I don't have to say how old I am, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so that's where we're going to let yep. that lie. Uh, so before we actually started this interview, I had to ask Nate what, uh, what theater we had done together because I couldn't remember. And uh, I met Nate when he was performing as an actor. We were in Merchant of Venice together. Um, so those are, what have you been doing sort of acting wise these days? Where do you, where do you tend to fall on the spectrum? 
I've <clears throat> speaking of representation, I've played a lot of either straight up actual in the text gay guys or coded um, disagreeable effete people. Um, the last, <laughs> yeah, you, you find a niche and you fill it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Um, the last thing I was in was Charlie's aunt, and which is like by this point at least 200 years old or something ridiculous and it's a funny play about two guys who get their friends to dress up as an old lady and he makes tea in a hat um and is he i got wearing to... the hat or is he no it's if that? i explained why it was happening that would be the podcast it's not important <laughs> okay He's a man in a dress pretending to be an old lady and somewhere at the end of act two, he makes tea in a hat and I got to be that part. So that was fun. Um, and he, <laughs> I tried to be, you know, convincingly attracted to a female. Um, I, I think I think I did a fairly good job. People seem to say that I'm, I'm fairly good at being attracted to females on stage, especially if there's like a British accent as like an alibi because people tend to not require as much masculinity from people with British accents. So that helped. It's interesting that that reads that oh, yeah. way, right? Like British are gay. By proxy, yeah. the British are just more effeminate. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strange, strange things that are like unwritten right. rules. And just the, the, the laws of attractiveness are fairly, I don't know, slightly different. I don't know, like if Benedict Cumberbatch was American, he would be viewed in the same way by yeah. mm, the same mm. population. Um, you need the accent just... to really draw people in. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I should say any more about that because I'm sure there will be people that <laughs> already take offense. Oh, that's okay. We, we've definitely okay. tread in waters of offending yes. someone at some point for something and we also edit our episodes so worst comes to worst we'll just cut the whole thing <laughs> so we briefly uh brought up working with a representational kind of yeah. mission uh i guess um so talk yeah. about that a little bit and why it's important to you okay. in, in what you um do. i mean without sounding too much like a really bad intro college lecture. Firstly, the question is what is representation and what is like good representation? Because I mean, that to some people means here are some people of color in the background and they don't actually say anything, but look, they're represented. Or um, here is a queer supporting character that is probably played by a funny straight guy who does everything incredibly stereotypically only has like admittedly some of the best lines, but still nothing of really important, you know, um, content to the plot and doesn't really do anything. Um, here is a person of color who is like maybe a second lead who, you know, does have a fairly filled out romantic B plot in, you know, your play or your television episode or your movie but again, doesn't necessarily have anything that moves the plot forward, except for maybe telling the lead what they should do, or maybe being an object of desire for the lead, 
helping the lead in some way, right? Like I possess a magical ability to help the lead and that apparently is my goal as a character. The savior, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there are lots of different ways that can make itself apparent depending how that particular character is different from everybody else. Or, you know, you have a character that is amazingly enough, the lead, um, played by, if they're a queer character, a queer person, if they are a person of color, somebody who actually is what, you know, that character's ethnicity is, and is carrying the plot. Or if they're not carrying the plot, then doing stuff that affects the plot, as opposed to just, you know, sort of standing around and going, you know what, guys, we should really fight that bad man over there. Thanks. Let's go do that, <laughs> um, which happens. Um, and it still does. So, I mean, th there's a whole spectrum of what like representation might mean and what good representation is. And gosh, that can be 45 minutes of a rabbit hole if you really want to go down. I certainly think we can touch on a number of <laughs> topics today, but I, I really want to yeah. dive into this idea of like good representation versus bad yeah. representation because for mm -hmm. me when what I think of is bad representation tends to be when someone is trying to tell a story that isn't theirs to tell uh, mm -hmm. you know I think of like white middle-aged men trying to tell the story of a, a teenage black man in in a, in a rough neighborhood you know what I mean like that's not in West Philadelphia, exactly. For like it's not it's not my story to tell. <laughs> so me trying to tell that story is a sort of form of bad representation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Or, and I mean, there are different levels of that. Like, like I was I was writing a play, and I you know centered my white queer alcoholic. Um, and he needed somebody to tell him, you know, what he should do instead of what he was doing because it was a 90 minute play and we didn't have two or three hours for him to just sort of fump along and figure out that, you know, maybe the stuff he was doing was making him a bad person. So I gave him a boyfriend, which is always a great, you know, person to tell you to do something <laughs> and I gave him a slightly different point of view so that he could be outside the situation and the way I did that was I made him African-American and I got him to his name is Thomas which is not the greatest original name um, and Tom said you know when you do these things you realize that you end up sounding super racist or at least like low-key not great are you aware that, you know, the stuff that you are doing is kind of cor corroding your soul? Um, but there were dick jokes, so it didn't sound like that. And I knew that, like, the character I was creating or writing about existed. Um, and I wasn't going to try to make him of a lower class or from a family I knew absolutely nothing about because I knew that would not be a good look at all. Um, so I let him be upper class from like a, a good background. His father was a judge. And I knew that, you know, 
there are upper class black people, there are gay upper class black people, that works. However, there was nothing about that man's life that I knew instinctively from any kind of personal experience or also, you know, because hell, I'm not a particularly, you know, agreeable person. I have a very small friend circle within that friend circle. It is fairly homogenous. I don't have a diverse you know, amount of acquaintances. <laughs> and so I was writing out of my ass and I'm pretty sure he had some good lines. I'm pretty sure the basic character beats and bones of the character were fine, but there was no real authenticity in that part. He was a skeleton and he was a skeleton who was basically a device to tell the lead, you shouldn't be doing this thing. You know, that. so, you know, there were parts of him that I knew and I could write the gay stuff, pretty good at that. But there are other stuff about him that I just had to guess or invent whole cloth. And I think the problem with like that is it wasn't particularly interesting and it didn't make for, you know, interesting art. Um, do you, do you and... think a way to possibly sort of combat that is a more collaborative writing style instead of yeah. being a solo writer, you start to bring in other represent representation in the room where you're writing. So it's no longer a, a singular process. Yes. Um I think that probably works better for a more collaborative medium like TV. Um, you know, uh, a play needs to have one voice, you know, especially if it's like 90 minutes or so. And I think it's better to just know your limits and know when you are writing something you don't know anything about and not do that because there's probably somebody else who deserves that space as much as you. And if it comes to that, maybe they should have that space instead of you. I really appreciate that perspective because it kind of takes a moment to, to recognize that not every story is your job yeah. to tell. As an, as an artist it has to be a humbling space to come to, right? Where you're like, you when you take a second to step back and look at something you're doing with a critical eye and say, oh, right. So I either need to get someone to lend me this experience, or I need to just recognize that maybe this experience isn't what my show needs. Yeah. And you need to know when parts of a person are not accessories. You know, parts of a person's experience are not colors in a paint box or costumes to put on a person to make them more interesting or different from the other characters. If you want to get back to like the differences in representation and what it means when you see people who aren't like you playing you or depicting experiences that are yours and, and why that's not great. Um, there's this feeling that, you know, I can get when I'm watching really good actors, like super duper actors who can do the work, um, act in something written by, you know, people who might be like me or not, but, you know, 
depicting or portraying experiences of my life. And it's like Indiana Jones, like going to wherever he goes in those movies and taking like the thing that's at the end of the movies and going, this thing belongs in a museum. So let's take it and put it in the museum and put glass around it so <laughs> other people can come and look at that thing. Like that thing's actually part of my life. Yeah. And it feels icky to have all of these people not really empathizing with me, but just sort of appreciating the qualities of it in like this abstract way. Almost watching you like an animal in a zoo. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the episode of Futurama where Fry and Leela realize that they're part of a zoo. <laughs> or is it? No, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah. Um, and also stuff like that. You know, people who create stories that they have not experienced. Again, tiny little details mean so much. Um, and they don't get those little details right. Sure, sure, sure. yeah. Like you can you can watch something go, oh, that wasn't made by somebody like me. Like I was watching um, oh God, something that was supposed to be super prestigious and and super important. And it it had the aesthetic of prestige and it had like the acting of prestige and it was filmed beautifully. And there's this one scene where it was about race. It was very like you know, serious about it was it had something to say. Um, and because it was made, I'm sure, by lots of white people, it it was this long TV show, and gosh, they they really liked depicting brutality against people of color sure. over and over and over again. Um, yeah. And, and calling it good art and calling it like meaningful. But there is this one stupid scene where a young black girl is infused with so much like self-loathing and we don't have to get into that. She takes what I think is like either glue or latex paint. It's this white paint and she covers herself and then bad things happen because that's the, but she gets home again and oh, she feels bad because of the thing that she did. And she's trying to get it out like of her clothing and her face and her hair and her mother comes in and she, I mean, she's having trouble just getting it off of her skin. Her mother comes in and her mother looks at her and what she doesn't say is, what the fuck did you just do to your hair? Have you any idea how much we are going to have to work to get that out? Because you know, little things like that don't cross, you know, some people's minds. Right. And it's just one detail like that takes you out of the story. <laughs> and it's like, oh, right, this this isn't for me. This is not for me. This is for other people. This is a story about my experience for other people. Right. And I realized, you know, in that moment, I mean, I that was a late episode. So I knew already that that was definitely written for me and people who look like me. Um and not for the people that it was about. Yeah, there was actually a missing you or blinking you miss it queer character. And I, I don't know why he was gay. Because they needed representation in their show. 
I'm gay, and so I'm not quite as racist as you people. <laughs> so there's, I don't know. It, I always wonder about yeah. like the 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 people in charge of making this material because you know we sort of look at it from this I don't want to say high and mighty place but we look at it from this different perspective where we say this is good and this is bad but some people can't see that bifurcation and think that what they're doing is good I think I don't know like something can be a really well-made piece of garbage <laughs> and a lot of, there are a lot of people who will just see how well made something is mm -hmm. how great the dialogue snaps along how great the performances are what a really pretty piece of garbage it is and it takes a while to you know say wait a minute what what's the narrative doing they're just doing horrible things to these people. We get that doing horrible things to people is bad. We don't need X amount of time exploring this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, like we don't need and, we don't need yeah. to see 12 years of slave every couple of years to remember. Apparently slavery wasn't all great. <laughs> You know, Wait a second. Like, I always felt like that sort of representation was more for white guilt than anything else yeah. yeah and i'm sure there are you know it's it's the yeah, it's the dead faggot play or, or dead lesbian OD, play od play you know like yeah he's in a better place now it's a shame that he's dead but he's in a better place right yeah it's, yeah. For, the best, <laughs> it's for the best you know so up. <laughs> or or you know the, the the flip side of that in like a romantic comedy or something that's not about suffering is the helper minority right sure Right. Like that's still such a thing yeah. in very sort of glossy, prestigious stuff is like, um, I mean, Emily, I don't think there's anybody who said that like Emily in Paris was a good thing that happened. <laughs> but Darren Starr was behind that. Darren Starr is a big homo. He's the one that made Sex in the City. He had not one but two helper gays on that show. But he, by this point, he should have known better. And I never thought that I would feel sorry about like racism being directed at the French. But gosh, <laughs> um, one of the like one of the things on this very glossy, very contemporary show was like one of these characters. It was a twofer, um, like one of the two people of color in the show who was like named and a prominent cast member was. Um, a black gay French person who worked in the fashion place that Emily did fashion stuff in. Um, and he never actually mentioned his homosexuality. He just like was that character. He was the helper gay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, how is this still a thing? How is this still a thing? And I really wondered if like the actor was gay or not, because usually if you have a character who's queer and they're like a very important a serious role if you will that character gets cast with a straight actor yeah that's the other side of representation but, that i was interested in tapping into it's not just the person writing the material but the person playing yeah. the role yeah but if there's a comically stereotypical queer character that character is usually cast in a with a queer actor. Because if you had, oh, I don't know, say James Corden playing that part, 
that would be a horrible catastrophe. And you could liken it to blackface. Shots um, fired you know. right there. So if you're listening, James Gordon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I think that's interesting too. There are a whole bunch of really great queer actors. I'm sure that we know nothing about because most of like the good roles are um, straight and they won't get cast as those. And the good queer roles usually go to straight actors. So I'm sure that Stanley Tucci and... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say, um, you got me on that one. There, there's a movie about Stanley Tucci and his delight, Colin Firth. Yes, oh, good. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, and, and they're a beloved couple and one of them is losing his mind and it's very sad and touching and they're you know, playing these two great parts. Again, both of them super duper actors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But not the both point. Of them, yeah. yeah, both of them have actually played like gay men before. Right. And so they have this weird little niche cottage, cottage industry <laughs> of being like film stars and bankable, but just sort of a feat enough so that you could definitely believe that they are homosexual. Sure. Nathan Lane should be one and should be one of those parts. One hundred percent. He was in yeah, Iceman sure. Cometh. He was um, Roy Cohn in mm-hmm. the British Angels in America. Um, just a fantastic you know, and there are a lot in general, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, he reads too gay, I guess. And and there isn't there is an argument to be made that like he's not box office enough, which is a really fun circuitous bit of logic. <laughs> This, this queer actor isn't box office enough. We have to ca- cast a name straight actor. Sure. Why isn't sure. he box office enough? Well, he hasn't been in a lot. Why hasn't he been in a lot? Well, because he's queer. Okay, but see, the thing is- Well, the flip side of that too is queer actors that do uh, do well in terms of like- mm-hmm their billing and like their, if you really look at like their body of work, they have like a really solid body of work, play straight most of the time. Mm-hmm. You've got Jim Parsons. Um, you've got, oh goodness, Matt Bomer. Um, right. You know what I mean? Like these, these guys are like a bit bigger as younger men getting roles, but also Jim Parsons got famous playing, you know, a straight man on a TV series. On the flip side of that, if you do become uh, more of a household name, Right. It's because you're playing a straight role. Yes, absolutely. Jim Parson has big bang money and he can do whatever he wants. (laughs) And I think he's starting to, which is great. Um, But I mean, he was coded as he was cast as a character that was coded as asexual, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, I mean, we have a long history of being cast in parts that are British or villains or that or don't have asexuality. a sure. Right. Um, and I mean, I really don't see um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris being cast in, you know, a straight romantic part. I don't oh, see movies. Yeah. <laughs> he did Smurfs, yeah. right? The Smurf- I mean, I have kids now, so I'm You're up on the deep. cartoons neck deep on the cartoon movies but i mean to get back to like why is why is great representation important um the the sort of standard public argument for that is um 
people who have lived the experience will be more true, whether that's creating the script or the production or the performance and true makes better art. Mm -hmm. And that's a really effective argument, but it also frames why it's important in terms of product. Like we need to do this thing because that's how we get the best product. And honestly, I don't think it's always true. For instance, the movie that Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are in, I'm sure it's amazing. And, you know, good actors will do good work. I just sometimes like, <laughs> you know, they're really, really good actors. Um, it also helps if you have a really good screenplay. Mm -hmm. It also helps if you have like really good creators behind the lens and, you know, directing. I had to look it up, by the way. It's called Supernova. Thank you. Yeah. I think like the real, like my personal argument for that is it just sucks when you see something that's about yourself and, you know, it doesn't look like that there are that many people involved with it that have actually experienced those things. And it really does feel like there's this part of you that's been, you know, taken from you to be used to create this thing that's honestly probably for other people. And it's and not yourself. And they also make it extremely difficult to to break into these fields as as um, a minority of of any type. So it's it's right. this idea of oh, a straight man can't play a gay man because etc cetera, etc cetera. well then why can a gay man play a straight man it's like well that's because for every hundred straight white man roles there might be one gay man role and for every hundred of those one of them might be black yeah like i mean i have <clears throat> i have my own like personal hobby horse um arguing about that specific thing especially when you look at how many oscar bait parts have been queer people played by like straight people in just like the past couple of decades, mm. but white queer people are doing fairly well, um, especially like white guys. We're, we, we, we have like a lot of, a fair amount of fairly good movies and plays about, you know, either historical white queer guys, or, or we have, you know, a, a long list of plays by now about white queer guys, in old houses, sipping martinis and saying fun things at each other. A lot of them are AIDS plays. We do other things and did other <laughs> things besides dive AIDS, but you know, it is a really important thing and it should be documented. Um, I'm, I'm sure that like you have a similar um, opinion about all the very good art that has been, you know, made about the civil rights movement um, and historical dramas. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've been in those shows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you and I both. You know. It, it um, would be. Yeah. Yeah. Both both yeah. types of those shows. Um, <laughs> and I think one yeah. of the things about stories about issues, let's call them issues, people that are involved in issues, is very rarely. <laughs> Well, you know, it's about this gay guy who's dying of AIDS. That's not actually a plot. That's just a character who's experiencing something. Um, mm. One of the things about mm. stories about stuff like that is a person of color involved in the um, civil rights movement. And that's the story. Or there's, and they're straight. 
right? And, and that is the thing that, that's the one issue that they have. Because um, everyone only has one issue, obviously. Right. And it's, it's probably centered around a guy. Um, and, or you have, you know, a, a white, probably middle class, upper middle class gay man who is struggling with stuff because he's gay, right? And there really isn't anything else and he doesn't know anyone that doesn't look like him. And he's not really that aware of anything outside of his small circle of very witty alcohol drinking friends, right? Um, and there's, I think there's like a thing um, that came to New York that's about four and a half hours long that deals with like intersectionality and intergenerational stuff in the queer community in New York. Um, it sounds very prestigious. Um, you know, that's, that's the other thing about having people in the room is you need lots of different people. You can't just have like one person that's like the person that isn't like the rest of us because that's <laughs> still like, at that point. yeah, that's still like only mm -hmm. one different viewpoint. Um, and, and we, we, yeah. we, yeah. We say that America is a melting pot. What that means is that there are lots of different colors. It's not just like a red and a blue making purple. There's yellow and orange and green and all of those meld in with each other. So as much as I love my, you know, witty people saying snarky things, I know that there are other experiences that would add something to this story. And that kind of bleeds over into the idea of representation extending beyond the creative element of what a play and theater are. Um, you need all of those different perspectives in every bit of that creation, in the production, in the choreography, in the dramaturgy, you know, you need all of those experiences throughout the entire process to give a mm -hmm. full picture full breadth of yeah because i mean life, i guess i don't think i've ever felt uncomfortable playing i think most of the times that i've played any sort of queer character i've had a queer director um but i would imagine that if you were ever in a situation where you were being told how to play experiences that you have experienced and your director has not that can be awkward and i know that happens sometimes well it's fun when you when you're told um oh well, this this character codes different and you're just like <laughs> well i'm playing yeah. a black guy and i'm a black guy right and, and yeah. i'm talking how i talk <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. i sort of and wonder like Great. Is there Great. That's exactly is there any sort of, of balance <laughs> to this between sort of like actor director relationship of say I'm directing a piece and it has a, a black character in it that I just don't relate to? Um, is is there a conversation that can happen between director and actor that sort of starts to make that okay? Or is it again this falling to the the idea of maybe don't do that play. 
I don't know who who are you asking that question. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, uh, I will say this. I will say that that as a director, you have a lot of power in what you are proposing as a piece, what points of view are in that show, and I also think that you work with what you with, with what you have right theater that decides we're going to do in the heights even though we maybe are going to get three latino latina people out here to audition maybe you just don't pick in the heights but i also think that if you have a play and you really want to do it and there's a person of color or in it and that's what you need. Well, that's what you need. Like that's, I mean, and there's always a way to have that I think having the conversation um, is just part of it. It's, it's about acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah. But then you also, but you also have to have, be ready to hear things that you don't. Sure. Otherwise expect to hear too. In those conversations. I don't know. How do you feel Nate about <laughs> it being you're, you're playing a, you know, a, a gay character for, it depends honestly like in okay so most of the narratives about that incorporate people of color incorporate people of color very deliberately to talk about their ethnicity Mm -hmm. gay people have reached the point where there might be a a gay character who's just there um to say funny gay shit and you know you don't have to talk about physical intimacy you don't have to talk about relationships it might not be a play about AIDS um so it's not always as big a thing um but if it were like like if it were like a question of a director thinking that the character I was playing should not be played as effeminate as I was playing him. See, it's different. It's not like a Mm one-to-one analogy, like, but that would be a, that would be a conversation. Like I know that I was at an audition and I, uh, I was given like a monologue and it was like a long monologue with basically a bunch of one-liners and the director, um, was prompting the 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 people saying the monologue with different like one line prompts to see like how you know loose they were um like sad or angry or italian um <laughs> not italian um but like that sort of <laughs> oh now you're on fire um yeah 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 the best auditions. auditions yeah, yeah. do the do this fun monologue with it. Um, like you're tr- like you're trying to get a bunny out from under the bed. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, thank you. This is for how to succeed in business without really trying. I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> no, but like one of the prompts was flamboyant. Uh-huh. And I and because like we were all in the same room, I saw like people get up one after the other and get that prompt and then like go into a very poorly thought out like flamboyant sure. homosexual. And God help me when I got up and got the same prompt, I'm like, oh, fuck, if I can't do this, nobody can. 
And I did. And I really wish I had the presence of mind to say, oh, no, you're going to have to pay to see that, sweetie. I'm sorry. I'm flamboyant <laughs> enough right now. Um, because to be asked to, like, take this part of yourself and then sort of boil it down and package it and then perform it for somebody is such a dehumanizing thing to experience. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. So how do you think? theaters and producers how do you think they do better yeah what's the call to action i'm trying to choose my words carefully sure well it's all on you now uh, oh, so oh, okay you say here problem, the world is at right my feet now. and they they need me to bring do. down the tablets of social justice <laughs> <laughs> i mean it would start with like doing better work which is mm -hmm. a really sure. like crappy thing to say, but you know, I saw in like some forum where these things are being talked about, somebody just commented, stop doing fucking hairspray. <laughs> so there is that, like, I'm sure you have a list of plays that you would be very happy never to see performed. Grease. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I certainly do too. Um, and, and we could like start with, really sort of asking people to analyze how are characters being depicted? You know, what is, what is this character's role in the narrative? Are they really just there to help the lead or tell a sassy story? Um, or, you know, is, is there, are their actions being affected by the experience that they have lived and do their choices have a direct effect on the narrative, you know, instead of just like being the, the, the neighbor that comes in, shits out three one-liners and leaves again. And that's, that's hard for a lot of people because there are a lot of beloved shows that are still done, especially in the area that conform to that basic model of what a narrative should be. And the second thing is just make, friends with people who aren't like you because just generally that seems like a good idea yeah for sure <laughs> and like i i mentioned before that you know i am definitely at fault for not doing that um but you know the the more you know people who aren't like you the more experience you have the more ideas you have and that will you know inevitably feed into what you are making um I mean, we could definitely talk about maybe there are people who have a lot of power who might not need to have all that power. Mm. Uh, there, we could talk about just the obvious things about even if you are a well-meaning person who looks like most of the people who have power and you want to see something done that is a story about people who aren't like you maybe instead of saying i'm going to take the story and make sure that it gets done by doing it myself maybe you use your power to make sure that story gets done but then take your authority and give it to somebody else for a while you'll get it back yeah yeah i'm pretty sure you have a way to like retain that power that you lend out um, I think the big thing is be more curious. 
And don't be threatened by this idea that people are coming to get the thing you want. You have plenty of it, whatever that thing is, either it's roles or the opportunity to direct or, you know, space to, to, perform, to, to make things happen, you know, paper to write on. Um, and especially if we're talking about just like community stuff, there is so little at stake. Yeah. Like yeah, nobody is getting paid. That's one thing Nobody. that I always hear is like, oh, this show is not going to sell. And it's like, so well, you, you, I you mean, paying the more, all you're doing is paying property tax at this point. Yeah. You have yeah. the building, the lights are on. What's at stake. It's just, you want to do a thing and you're afraid that other people might take that right away from you. That's this all. idea of something not selling. I mean, that then goes into how you are publicizing these shows mm. and, how, you know, and if if this isn't going to draw in your normal everyday audience, maybe this is your chance to start reaching out and branching into new sects of audiences. Right. Yeah. This isn't going to sell to our audience is like your audience will be dead in 25 years. <laughs> well, exactly. it's like it's the ultimate like for some reason they don't they don't take that phrase to mean that they're doing anything wrong. Yeah. They're like they're like, oh, well, our audience doesn't like that. And it's like, well, why is your audience all one thing? Yeah. Like, what is that all about? You right. Know? Like, what are you doing that makes, you know, is this is this is this the the snake eating its own tail or you know like what's happening here we're we're, we're straying very close into like especially with you know non-professional stuff and stuff that has a more communal feel why what is the purpose what is the point and that is a mm -hmm. huge argument sure um sure. you know like for a lot of very good people this is their bowling league right right and that's yeah, really important. Right. And I get that, you know, socializing and community and communal stuff is super important, especially after the year we've had. Mm. Like, I am a huge introvert. Even I am saying, I want to go out to a bar and talk to strangers. <laughs> right? Like, I get how important it is to come together and make a thing. And then to say to another group of people, look, we made this thing and have them appreciate that on a base level. And, you know, maybe it should be a conversation about, okay, well, if we want something more and if we really want to interrogate what actually the thing we made is made of, do we need to like find a sustainable way to, you know, not have to depend upon, you know, the bowling alley. Mm -hmm. I like costumes. I like costumes and sets and lights and music and all that crap. I do not like outdoor theater at all. <laughs> but Oof. then, then it Sin becomes close. No, close, close to home. Oh, I was, I was, um, <laughs> I was in As You Like It when I was ever so young, and it was like true outdoor summer theater completely portable about like five or six different locations sweet phoebe scorn me not do not phoebe say you love me not but say not so in bitterness the common execute i can say that forwards and backwards <laughs> i am not a fan of outdoor theater um but you know if we want to do a thing and we want to do it a certain way maybe we need to find 
a way to not rely on the people with power and money, which sucks, but. Well, Nate, uh, this has been great. And we're so, I'm so glad that we had you on and that, you know, you responded to, to our solicitations to speak to artists. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I have had a lot of fun ranting for however long this has been. <laughs> Listen, we love to bring artists on to rant about things that need to be ranted about, you know? Well, I'm glad. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Uh, Nate Bynan, you've been great. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Nate, so much for coming on to Active Listeners Pod and talking to us and giving us all of those great points of view. I know that we really appreciate you coming on and bringing a new point of view to our audience. And with that, I think I'm going to toss it over to Mike for some audience participation this week. Audience participation is we want you to tell us what play or musical would you be 100% okay with if you never saw it again? Okay, so I know I have a number of plays and musicals on this list. Grease, way up there. Oh, way up there. Uh, The importance of being earnest, goodbye. That's pretty high on the list, too. So So, it is the number one show on my list. So if you have an opinion on what play or musical you would never want to see again, contact us let us know you can contact us on our twitter at act list pod that is a c t l i s t p o d or you can check us out on facebook facebook.com slash active listeners pod and you know what you can even hop on and try to defend greece or the importance of being honest i'm not saying you're going to get very far but you could do it and it is definitely your way to join the conversation Peace. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating. And if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron. Our theme music, It's a Trap, was created by Remodel. Thanks for listening.